Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. Welcome to Truth Set Free, our Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities Q&A program. It is recorded live on Wednesdays at 3.30 p.m. with Pastor Matt Lewis and Steve Winery. You can view the live program at our Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities Facebook page and on our YouTube channel. You can text your questions to 707-872-7677 or email them to crosswalkradio at gmail.com. So even in the connection of the suffering Messiah, you see this prosperous, conquering Messiah, which is Messiah Ben David, that the Jews would be talking about. And so it was just a, you know, it was just a theological situation where they chose to come up with two Messiahs instead of thinking, well, maybe one Messiah coming two times. And it was just their their choice, and it got cemented in their thinking. In the same way, when you look at the second coming of Christ, there's two second comings of Christ. And so one is absolutely unexpected, and the other one comes after a series of events. And so the unexpected one is the one that we're supposed to be watching for. Jesus said, I could come at any moment, and so you need to constantly be ready. In fact, I'm coming at a a time that you do not expect an hour that that you're not going to be ready for unless you're ready all the time is the point that he made. And that's in Matthew 25 or Matthew 24, among other passages. So there's an unexpected coming of Jesus that we all need to be ready for. And yet Jesus said that at his second coming, there, were, there was going to be a series of events that were going to take place. And so the rise of the Antichrist and, and the rise of apostasy and destruction of major portions of the world, uh, so bad that if he didn't come back, no life, no flesh would be saved you know, that, that kind of thing. And so I'm either supposed to be sitting here waiting for a Jesus coming and it's unexpected, or I need to look for the Antichrist first. So which one is it? And the answer is that it's both. And, you know, we know this basically because we know how he came the first time. First time he came as a suffering servant, and then he said, I'm coming back as the conquering Messiah. And so the, the second coming of Christ actually comes in two phases Phase one, coming unexpectedly for the church and taking his people out. Phase two, coming with the church and basically coming to conquer the earth and set up his kingdom. And people get confused with that. And they they try to allegorize uh, the first coming, usually, the coming for the church. They try to allegorize that and say, well, we're not really waiting for Jesus to come at any moment because, and blah, 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 blah. And they don't take it seriously because they can't figure out how to deal with those two. And, you know, it's somewhat the same thing that you had in the Old Testament. And so, you know, what they what they did was they tried to, uh, in Old Testament times, they did as you spoke about. They tried to come up with two different messiahs. In New Testament times, we have church people just ignoring scripture. 
really try and make us Israel and put us through tribulation, explain all that stuff away, which doesn't answer a lot of those verses anyway, but it goes back to bad interpretation methods. So in that time of the Lord, then they must have not, that must have not been the popular interpretation because they completely missed the Messiah because they were looking for the ruling and reigning version. Exactly. And obviously, if you're going, if you're going through the Old Testament passages, you know, who who wants a guy who's just going to die? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and also, you know, being yeah. under the Romans, I want you to have victory over this. Right. I'm tired of being under exactly. their thumb. And even even after Jesus had died and risen from the dead, you have the apostles in Acts chapter one saying, "So now we're going to do it." Yeah. You know, that, now now yeah. is this going to happen? Yeah. Even John the Baptist is kind of looking at that. Yeah. So one of the things I like to tell people is, after three and a half years of ministry with Jesus, these guys are still expecting a literal. Kingdom right. of Christ on the earth. Yeah, yeah, and Jesus doesn't say that's not happening. Yeah, so right. yeah, good stuff. Yep. All right, moving on. My next question here is about teaching, and it says this: I've been praying about teaching the Bible at my church, not as a pastor or staff member, just part of serving. I know that teachers will be judged more strictly. Quotes James three one, and so I'm hesitant to start doing it without God giving me a specific word from His Word that makes it clear that I'm called to teach. I feel like. I should do it based on 1 Peter 4.10, but I don't want to jump into being in a stricter level level of judgment member of the body. Um, How did you Q&A guys get called to teach, and is it as simple as 1 Peter 4.10, or should I make sure I have a personal verse from God beyond that one before I subject myself to a stricter judgment, since I'm not actually sure if I have the gift? I think what you said. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't start doing this until I knew that God wanted me to. Actually, I did start doing it before I knew that God wanted me to. I, uh, I was a young Christian, and we had um, five guys in a Bible study, including myself. And we decided, actually, I didn't decide. They decided that we were all going to take turns teaching. I did not want to teach. And when it came to my turn to teach, there was a reason I didn't want to teach, and it was because I was an awful teacher. It was, I did not have the gift. And so um, when, when I taught my passage. I remember it was out of Romans. I don't remember what passage it was, but it was out of Romans. We all decided that maybe the guy who was the Christian the longest should be the one that was teaching. <laughs> so I uh, I straightened them out as far as whether or not teaching should be shared because they didn't want to share it with me. In any, in any case, later on, I was praying about what God wanted me to do with my life as far as ministry, ministry went. And he specifically told me that I was going to teach. And then he brought about opportunities, literally the day after he told me. And so I'm, uh, I'm up in the mountains. I, I was backpacking and using it as a, as a time to seek the Lord. And I'm up in the mountains, and God told me I was going to teach. And I came down that night, literally, literally the next day, one of the pastors from my church asked me if I would uh, teach his Bible study that next Friday. And so God had told me, you're going to teach. And I I said, we tried this before. Don't you remember? And he just said, you're going to teach. And so then I got that opportunity. Then a couple of weeks later, another opportunity. Then a couple of months later, a guy asked me to take over his Bible study. And, you know, it, it just went from there. But God, yeah, God did tell me that that's what my ministry was going to be. And on top of it, it was not one of my talents. There, there are giftings, and when you get a gift from the Lord, 
it is something that you can't take credit for because it's something that you didn't have and then all of a sudden you do. And that is something that comes from the Lord himself. Talents are also from the Lord, but those are, those are things that are given to you in your genetics and in your makeup and in your personality and, and, uh, and that kind of thing. And God uses my talents. I do have talents. And so I'm a studier. I'm a reader. Um, and, uh, and that kind of thing. Obviously, that works really good, good with teaching, but it does not make you a teacher. And um, you can be a great communicator, and that doesn't make you a teacher either. That makes you a great communicator. And that may, that may be your talent, and maybe God wants, to, wants you to use that in the area of teaching. But if he, if he wants you to teach, I, I, I took exactly your same attitude. You know, in fact, when God told me that I was going to teach, James 3, 1 came to mind. Do I want a stricter judgment? And um, I, think, I think you have a good attitude there. One of the cool things about God, and if you're going to teach, it's something that you need to know, is that God is continually speaking to us. Mm-hmm. He wants to get his will across to you. He's, not, he's, not, he's there and he's not silent, is how Francis Schaeffer put it. And... So if I was looking at getting into a teaching ministry, yeah, I would pray and I would ask God to make it clear to me. And if he wanted to use, I like, I like it when God gives me passages out of scripture because they're things I can turn back to when I'm feeling like, was that really God or if I blown it? You know, it's, it's something that I can hold on to. And so I, I, I like your attitude with this. But yeah, I, w- I would be seeking the Lord on it, and I, w- I wouldn't be stepping into something that I didn't know that God wanted me to do. You know, when, when I think of my teaching, I'm inflicting my, myself on people. You know, and so I've got all these people who are coming to the church, and they're coming to listen to me. And there's a reason that there's a stricter judgment, because I'm, trying, I'm, I'm passing myself off as an authority, and I need to have the gift to be the authority that God calls me to be. Otherwise, I can just be messing people up. And so I don't want to mess people up. And so I, I did not step out on this just because I felt like it. Um, I stepped out on it because God specifically told me to. And so I like his attitude. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I think, too, you'll be able to distinguish when you do that, your ability, your teaching, your talent versus the spiritual gift of God speaking to people that Pastor Steve just laid out. In fact, this just happened to me about a month ago where I got done teaching and I thought to myself, what a pointless, worthless night, because I thought it was a terrible <laughs> Bible study. I'm, I couldn't get my words out, and I'm like, what What a waste. I just wasted these people's times. That was totally fruitless, moving on with life. <laughs> and then someone right afterwards came up and said, man, thank you so much. God spoke to me. That was awesome. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That was the worst Bible study that I've ever given in my life. And, and what, what the point of that is, is that you'll see the Lord using the gift of teaching despite you. And um, that's one gauge that I like to use to know that it's not about you or, or your talents, whatever. It's God, as long as you are just faithful to get out of the way, then God can speak through you if you're called to do it. Yeah. Okay, Christian Conservative is on YouTube, Pastor Steve, and he asks this, When looking for a Christian dating partner besides the fundamentals, what doctrines should they agree on? For example, if they believe in once saved, always saved, is that a big deal? So can a Calvinist and a non-Calvinist <laughs> date, Pastor Steve? What say you? You know, uh, the, the Bible's clear that you can marry anybody that you want only in the Lord. And that's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let me turn to the passage and give you the, the actual address. Um, 
It's chapter 7, verse 39. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. And so what the scripture says, as far as you know, what I'm going to bind you to here, is that you need to be marrying somebody who's in love with Jesus. And so then all the other things are, are issues that you need to you need to be thinking about. I'm glad you're thinking about those things. One of the things that, that I always told people in my single studies is that dating is not just dating. Dating is looking for a wife or looking for a husband. And so if you're dating somebody that you would not want to be married to, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, it needs to it needs to be treated that way. Because what happens is people get emotionally involved with somebody and they can end up compromising their standards uh, because they're lonely. And famously, single people are lonely and they want to be married and they don't take uh, the whole marriage situation seriously. You are going to be fighting with your wife. (laughs) And so... When, when I was looking at getting married, I wanted to fight with my wife as little as possible. And so my wife was somebody that, or my, my girlfriend at that time. I had a number of girlfriends, and most obviously all of them ended up in breakups, except for my last one. And there were reasons for that. And with, with those situations, I'm glad that I broke it off or, or that they broke it off with me because nobody wants to do that in a marriage. You don't want to be five years into a marriage and just go, I cannot hack this. I cannot hack who I'm with. And so you need to, you need to have your eyes wide open before you get married and your eyes half shut after you're married is what Benjamin Franklin said. There, there was wisdom there. So, um, you know, with the with the whole once saved always saved thing, if you if you got somebody who's a hardcore Calvinist, and this has implications in your marriage. And so, I've seen situations where hardcore Calvinists uh, don't know if Jesus loves their children. If I got a wife who is looking at my kid and wondering if Jesus loves my kid, I you know I'm going to have some you know <laughs> theological discussions. There's going to be yeah. some doctrinal issues there. That, that are taking place. And that's just practically. That's a practical thing. Um, I had one couple that was involved in my children's ministry, and a uh, guy came and talked to me and said, yeah, I'm having, you know, I'm having some issues with Calvinism versus you know, free will and, and that kind of thing. And I said, you know, you get to do that. You get to go through and study that stuff out. But when you come to the point where you decide that you can't tell the kids in, in my Sunday school classes that Jesus loves them, then you need to step down. And so, yeah, there's there, there's some there's some areas that are deal breakers, and so you got to figure out what that what that's going to be with you because you are going to fight over these things, and and it's not just in spirit in the spiritual arena; it's in other arenas too. I've I've seen you know I had a really good friend who was just a clean freak, like a freak. He would mow his lawn at one o'clock in the morning because he couldn't sleep. It's like this guy right here. I knew <laughs> yeah. you were going to say that. I'm like, I would do that. Yeah, exactly. He, um, we, we would, um, we would be over at his house. He, he hosted our single study. We would be over at his house playing games and goofing around until one and two in the morning. And 
I didn't know this, but after we left, he had to go through and clean his whole house before he could go to bed. And so he married a lady that was just a free spirit. (laughs) And he, he had some conversations with me after he got married and said, you know, I'm having a real hard time here. And he loved her, but, you know, God put two opposites together and it was pretty hard for the guy. And it was hard for her, too, because he was a demanding guy in, in those kinds of arenas. And so you have to have your eyes op- open before you get married. But what the scripture says is you can marry whoever you wish, only in the Lord. It's hard to see, too, when you're in the middle of, you know, this is this is the one. I want to marry them to be able to get away from the infatuation. But a good measure is if they don't change and if they're a Calvinist, whatever, we were, that's what we were talking about. That's why I said it then can you marry that person for the rest of their life if they don't change? Right. Because the mistake people make is they'll go, well, I'll change their doctrine. I'll win them over, and eventually they'll come to my side. And if they don't, you're going to be at war until it changes or or one of you dies in that area. There's a a story of a a girl who was getting married, and uh, um, she was nervous about you know, how the marriage was going to go and the ceremony and, and that kind of that kind of thing. And so she had an older lady that said to her, there are only, you know, three things that you need to have in mind when you're getting married. And it's just you're going to walk down the aisle with your dad, and then you're going to go up to the altar, and then you just need to have your eyes on your husband and, you know, have your eyes on him. And so the girl was walking into the chapel at that point, and trying to remember these things, and what she said in her mind was, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. And that's what a lot of women do yeah. when they get married. They think, yeah, I'll, I'll alter him. Yeah, you know, totally. they, they think that the guy's going to change. And, and again, there's a lot of wisdom in, in what Matt just said. You need to be good with who that person is. My, my wife before, this didn't happen with me and her. Because I, I thought she was practically perfect, but there were times when I would say things or I would do things and God would say to her, so what do you think of that? And she would say to God, I don't like that. And she go, and God would say to her, so do you still want to marry him? And she'd go, yes. And I remind her of these things. <laughs> <laughs> it happened a number of different times. And, and you know, you just need to be realistic about the, the fact that when you get married, there's a proverb that says, "Iron as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Yeah. And I think, too, to your point is that, you know, you talked about that guy who may, may be me. I don't know if you're mixing them up because that's kind of my story. But, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> God, you marry the opposite, and it's kind of like a marriage is a place where God refines you and you, you wake mm-hmm. up with this person, you can't get away with them without breaking the covenant, and it's you got to die to mm-hmm. yourself. Yep. And, you know, with those things that by yourself, single, you may be able to live life that way, but married, you're going to have to change or it's going to break. Right. And God uses that to reach you. So in 2023, it's like, are they a believer and do they love Jesus? And with the world we live in today, man, I'm going to be majoring on that because um, it's it's a hard dating pool culture right now when you yeah. look around, you know? One of the cool things about being, being a Christian is God changes people's hearts. And so, you know, it's like one of the things that I wanted in a wife was I wanted her to love Jesus more than she loved me. Mm. And I love Jesus more than I love her. And if you've got that going on, 
then God can God can change people's hearts. Sure, he can, absolutely. He can, that whole iron sharpening iron thing can happen. Yep. But if you got somebody who's just nominally Christian, then you're going to have huge problems, uh, that kind of stuff. So you just need to be wise. All right. Uh, this is my next one. First Thessalonians 5, 21 through 22. But test everything that is said, hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. Is this misinterpreted as the appearance of evil, or is there a biblical backing for the appearance of evil? I've heard a study by Chuck Smith talking about not buying grape juice because it looked like he would be buying wine. Okay. I'll just give you the definitions of the word form. So my my Bible says in verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. I'm using the New King James Version. I originally, when I first got saved, I used a, a King Jimmy, a, a King James Version. And so this is the definition. This is out of Strong's. Let me get that up. It's Idos. And there are five occurrences. And... It literally means the external or outward appearance, the form, the figure, the shape, the form, the kind is a secondary definition. So it's literally talking about the outward appearance. And this is out of a dictionary lexicon called, this next one is out of another lexicon. You don't really care about, it's Luonida. And it's the appearance as the form of that which is seen. And so, basically, it's just, just the appearance. It's the outward appearance is what it means. And, and so, when you're looking at this passage right here in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it literally says, abstain from every outward appearance of evil. That's literally what it says in Greek. So, form can in- include that. And so when I don't I don't know but about the Chuck Smith illustration that you're giving there, I imagine he's probably talking about going and picking up you know sparkling cider or something like that and being worried about somebody thinking that he was getting wine, and part of the reason for that from his point of view just just to let you know Chuck Chuck was a very popular pastor, and well known in Southern California. And so he was, he was very particular about making sure that he didn't stumble people. And so I, I know something about that. I'm, I'm not as popular or as famous as Chuck ever was, but it's, it's amazing how often people are staring at me in the grocery store. And I don't know if it's because I got something hanging out my nose or if they know me. And a lot of times when they're staring at me, they'll come up and they'll go, aren't you Steve Winery? Or, you know, and sometimes it's not even my face. They're hearing my, I'm saying something. Mm-hmm. They're hearing my voice. And because they listen on the radio or whatever. Actually, that was the first time that I met you was in China Cafe and I heard you talking behind me because I listened to you on the radio. Oh, yeah. really? Wow. You and Mitch and someone else was having lunch. Um, you probably don't remember. It was like yeah. 25 years ago or something. Wow. Yeah. And so because of that, whenever that happens, whenever somebody comes up and goes, hey, you know, Pastor Winery or Pastor Steve or Steve, you know, they come up and, you know, say that to me and I don't know them. And I've never met them. And sometimes I'm, you know, I I wonder where they know me from. I'll ask them if they knew me from, you know, construction or if they, you know, no, I know you from church and and that kind of thing. Every once in a while it's from construction, but that kind of thing. I'm immediately looking, you know, going back over in my head what I've been doing for the previous 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Did I just do something stupid in front of this person? And That's all the time we have for this week. If you have questions for Pastor Steve, email us at crosswalkradio at gmail.com. 
or send us a text at 707-872-7677. God bless. You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.